everybody. My name is Karen Hartglass. You're listening to It's All About Food. And with Thanksgiving right around the corner and all the other holidays coming along soon, a lot of people talk about gratitude, giving thanks. And I know it's it's kind of humorous. We talk about gathering around the Thanksgiving table with the family and there have been a lot of comedy skits and things about how difficult it is to actually do that. And the conversations that we should not get into. Politics is one of the things that is recommended not to talk about. Because these days, we don't agree. Especially here in the United States, we're so polarized. We're either on one side or another side. And of course, on this show, we talk about eating a whole food plant diet, a vegan diet, a diet free of exploitation. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving is a very popular holiday with vegetarians and vegans, where we eschew the turkey. Or at least we invite a live turkey to attend, but we're not going to have a dead turkey on the table. If you are gathering with non-vegans and maybe talking about Eating meat is not a subject you want to broach. I'm going to make a suggestion. Here's a subject I think we can all align with, or at least we could all take interest in, and that is farmers and farmland. And I'm finding it very concerning who owns the farmland and who's deciding what should be farmed and how it should be farmed. So we're going to delve a little bit in this subject right now on It's All About Food. I'm here with Gary DiMattei. Hi, Karen. Hi, everybody. I'm really thankful for you. So I'm giving gratitude for Gary. I'm giving gratitude to you, Karen. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is a fascinating subject, and I can't wait to hear more about your thoughts about farmland and farmers. Because as you know, I grew up on a farm. My father was a farmer. I watched all of the farmland get sold to developers and replaced with houses. And I know I've talked about that urban sprawl that I witnessed firsthand when I was growing up in Northern California in a place called San Jose. But that's exactly what I want to talk about, because what happened to you, and and that's just one little example, is that farmland is either being replaced being sold and 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 expensive homes are being built and other things as we see all over this country or investors i was reading an article in the new york times recently a week ago called farmland values hit record highs pricing out farmers wow and i read and it made me Oh, it's just one more thing to get upset about. Yeah. At Thanksgiving. <laughs> At Thanksgiving, exactly. So just just for a minute, the picture that we have of farmers, especially farmers that grow our plant food, I'm not talking about livestock farmers in this moment, but when you eat a carrot, when you eat a head of lettuce, when you're eating a black bean burrito, And you think about every step of the way those items had to go through to get to your plate. It's mind-boggling. Yes, absolutely. How many levels, how many layers, how many people have touched your food, literally. 
So you've got the seed, the farmer planting the seed and nourishing and watering and fertilizing and protecting and finding ways to prevent it from being attacked from different pests, weeds and insects and and then the harvesting and the packaging and the traveling from one place to another and all of the middle people that are involved in selling and then it finally gets to a store or a warehouse or somewhere and you you can buy it and then it ends up in your home until you decide to prepare it but there's so many steps involved but I want to say that I'm grateful for everyone that gets involved in every step of the way. So that's one piece of the gratitude. But right now, focusing on the farmland, because it's scary. We have these deep-pocketed investors, and that includes a whole gamut, private equity firms, real estate developers, and even just people who are... Playing the stock market. Playing the stock market, or have a portfolio of different things they're going to invest in and they're considering investing in farming. And the thing about farmland investments, especially now, is they historically have strong returns. They yield well and they're not volatile. And why is that? They're not volatile because, and this this really hits me hard, people need to eat food. Right. You've got a continuous market and it's a stable market because people have to eat and what i don't like is that being taken advantage of because frankly in my world <laughs> i think everybody should have a roof over their head they should have good food to eat and clean water to drink and clean air to breathe and education and i think that should be like a minimum for every human being on this planet and it isn't so we have this farmland thing where farmland is being eaten up no pun intended, by a range of investors. And and in addition to that, we know that there's only a very small number of corporations that also participate in controlling our food supply with big ag and growing specific crops to feed animals, to feed people, and specific crops to make processed food. I find it scary, and I think it's going to lead us to a crisis. So I just want to talk about it to make people aware that it's important to know where your food comes from and who's growing it. And would you uh, post that article that you got this information oh, from? Oh, I'm going to post a whole, a whole list of articles. Because I think our listeners would find them fascinating as well. Well, in this particular article, of course, they they used some stories of individual farmers that are trying to buy land. And what's happening is they're saving up for a certain amount of land, and they know how how much the land should cost per acre. And then they go to these auctions, and they're just priced out. Right. Because these investors are bidding at ridiculous amounts. We knew all about that when we're trying to get something that someone else wants who has a lot more money than we do. Mm-hmm. So the young farmer who has the right idea about wanting to buy land and grow quality food is being priced out by people who probably won't have the same intention as they do. The same passion, I should say. There's all these other issues too that are involved. So there are farmers who have been growing food for a long time and they're aging out. So 
a lot of the small farmers are older in their late 50s, 60s, and it's hard work. They're ready to retire. Their children aren't really interested in farming, and we're going to be losing that knowledge. And then there are young farmers that want to start farming and start a farming business, but they can't afford it. They can't afford the land. They can't afford the equipment. It's obscene. Right. Really. Because the prices are being... Because of because real estate in of, general is... The prices are out of reach. Up. Yeah. And this is where the government really needs to be participating in a better way. The article in the New York Times mentioned an organization, and I reached out to them, and I hope to have a representative come on the program and give us more information. The organization is called National Young Farmers Coalition, and they have created an agenda which they are offering to the 2023 Farm Bill, things that they're recommending that they would like as young farmers. Some of the things that they're interested in, things that you know you might not think about when you're <laughs> buying your produce, but these young farmers, in addition to needing access to farmland and capital, they may have student loan debt. They need access to health care. They need affordable housing. And then in addition to all of the hard work and the challenges that are involved in farming, there's a whole new level of challenge brought on by climate change. Right, exactly. So these are things we need to think about or things that I recommend we think about when we're buying our food. Where is our food coming from? Who's growing our food and who's profiting from it? Because when I said that I'm concerned and when I think there's going to be some sort of crisis, if more institutions are going to be owning farmland rather than an individual who loves the land and wants to nurture it and is proud of their products, what is going to stop them from making this like a feudal system where they hire people to work on the land for as little as possible. And we see that happening yes. now with migrant labor. Of course. The people that are harvesting and working the land really don't have any interest other than surviving, making whatever little money they can. I don't think this is a sustainable situation. And it's certainly, for, for those of us that don't eat animals because we don't want to exploit animals... We also have to think of the human factor. Who are the people that are growing and harvesting our food? Who are the people that are getting that food and putting it on the grocery shelves? And who are the people that are delivering the food? We learned in COVID about essential workers. We're kind of forgetting about them again. So as vegans, who's growing your fruits and vegetables? Who's harvesting your nuts and seeds? What? <laughs> How about farmer's market and CSAs? I I really like those, and I get to talk with the farmers themselves and find out a little more about them. And it seems to be, with what you're discussing now, probably a way for folks to get a lot of information firsthand as they're walking through their farmer's markets on Sunday. I recommend Googling farmers in the markets near you if you haven't done so. I know that a lot of them shut down in the winter, but I believe their biggest time of the year is right now, which is the harvest time and Thanksgiving 
and they're out in full force. But it would be nice to talk with them face-to-face as you're buying your fruits and vegetables. Yeah. You mentioned CSAs, community-supported agriculture, also farmers markets. Those are really the best places because you're dealing one-to-one with individuals who are growing food. But when we buy food in the stores, like Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, we don't really know where some of that food is coming from. And, and a lot of times it's not even coming from this country. Yeah. Another thing my ancestors did when they came over from Italy was start a farmer's market. It was called the grower's market. And all of the merchants went over and bought their vegetables from the grower's market. And that was a really wonderful thing to hear about as I grew up and longed for it to come back. So hopefully those types of places are still around. And if they are, as I mentioned, farmer's markets and CSAs and grower's markets, try to find them and try to support them. Because this sounds, as you said, very scary. And maybe at Thanksgiving, you want your table to be laid out with beautiful fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds supplied to you by local farmers, farmers that you can at least talk to and get to know and find out where their food comes from. I'm reading on different sites. I was looking at investor sites where they talk about investing in farmland. Here's just an example. Once an individual purchases a lot, they are put into a farmer owner's association similar to an HOA. The farmer owner association is a cooperative that includes all of the landowners and it audits the on-site third-party management team that handles everything from seed to shelf, including land development, farm management, planning, harvesting, and sowing. So you've got this management company that's wow. that's managing. I don't even know. I can't even imagine how that works. But wow. all I know is that the people that are really doing the work mm-hmm. are the ones who are going to be exploited. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, you know, Thanksgiving is a time when we're celebrating the harvest. We're celebrating the harvest. We're celebrating the bounty of food on our table. We cannot forget how it got there. That's a really good point, and I think a wonderful subject for today's show. Thanks, Gare. If you're into communicating with your representatives, the 2023 Farm Bill is coming up next year, and we really need to see some change. We need to see investments in equitable access to land for farmers and even ranchers (laughs) across the country. I'm not promoting the whole ranching of animal livestock thing, but they're included in this package. I have to admit that. But if we're going if we're going to be talking about farming, we have to include talking about growing food for animals to feed people. If it were me, I would eliminate all that, but I know that's not going to happen. So at the very minimum, we have to have a better arrangement, a better system. The laws need to be constructed so that it's supports the small farmer and not the wealthy landowner, not the wealthy individual who wants to buy up all the land. Or the corporation that wants to buy up all the land. Exactly. Yeah, so the Farm Bill is every five years Congress passes legislation that sets national agriculture, nutrition, conservation, and forestry policy, commonly referred to as the Farm Bill. And that's coming up, as you mentioned, right? It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And, you know, another thing is the 
inequalities in access to farmland, and I'm talking about people of color, something that I learned a few years ago when I listened to the 1619 podcast project was how when the blacks were freed from slavery here in the United States, they were given 40 (laughs) acres and a mule. I don't even know if they got that. They didn't have health care. They didn't have anything. They were just free. And we've known in recent times that black people have been discriminated and not treated the same way as white farmers getting the loans that they needed in a timely fashion. 98% of agricultural acres in the United States are owned by white landowners. Unbelievable. And that's a direct result of federal policy. And this is what the National Young Farmers Coalition is saying and asking for the change in the next farm bill. Addressing this injustice and making investments that will really help our next generation succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's farmland. And while we're on the subject of farmland and gratitude and all that good stuff, I just want to bring up genetically modified food one more time. Good, we should continually talk about that. When we're eating, for example, at the Thanksgiving table, the three sisters squash corn and beans. Maybe it's soybeans and maybe it's corn and maybe it's a squash. Somebody might say, well, you know, a lot of the soy and corn is genetically modified Mm -hmm. at your table. Right. (laughs) And I would say, number one, you can purchase organic corn and beans in your store and you'll know they won't be genetically modified. But the majority of corn and soy that is genetically modified is fed to animals. When I buy any kind of soy product in the store, the the simple healthy soy products, tofu and tempeh and things like that, they're all organic or at the very minimum not genetically modified. It's only when you buy processed foods with snack foods that have vegetable oil, soybean oil, that's likely to be genetically modified. But again, most of the soy and as well as the corn that are grown in this country are genetically modified and fed to animals. So if you want to avoid genetically modified food, you really want to not eat animals because that's what they're get that's what they're being fed. Exactly. And and you've talked about that a lot on this program and, it, and that conversation needs to continue. One of the reasons why I want to bring this up is I'm concerned first with the farmland and having our food supply controlled by a small number of people. This is concerning. Very concerning. And genetically modified foods also increase corporate control of our food. This is just another level of control. You probably know the food industry is dominated by a handful of powerful corporations, and they control nearly every aspect of how our food is produced. It's all this vertical integration we talk about, buyer or Bayer, however you want to pronounce it, who purchased Monsanto, now owns a lot of seed companies. And I pause to say that because it gives me pause right. to know that our seed supply is being controlled by a corporation. This is a company that has promoted genetically modified foods, specifically the product Roundup, which is an herbicide that is used when growing specific crops that are designed to resist the effects of this herbicide. So you can pour this chemical where you're growing these seeds. The seeds won't be bothered by it, but the weeds will 
allegedly be killed. And of course, we know after years and years of use of this toxic chemical, using this herbicide Roundup Ready, which contains the toxic glyphosate, the weeds are smart. They're smarter than us. The bugs are smart. They're smarter than us. They're resisting the herbicide and farmers have to find other toxic chemicals to pour or more in order to get the effect that they want. Back to how genetically modified foods increase corporate control of our food. There are really fewer and fewer options for farmers and they feel like they have to go GMO. And this is happening all around the world. And when you choose to grow genetically modified food, you have to use the seeds from the company that makes them. You cannot grow your crops harvest them and collect seeds and use them again because there's no profit in that for the corporation. So this is how they control our food supply. And it's not like genetically modified foods are really doing something good. The hype, of course, is that they're going to feed the world. They're not. And they have higher yields to keep up with a growing population. They don't. And they're supposed to be more nutritious. They're not. And they use more chemicals, so they're destroying the soil. The last thing, you and I, we buy organic food primarily. Everything we buy in the house, food in the house is organic. It's only when we eat out that it may not be organic. You can't have genetically modified food and organic food. They can they cannot coexist because of the air, pollen, things floating around. Everything mixes, so everything gets contaminated. And if we really want to have organic food, we can't have genetically modified food. They can't coexist. No. So food for thought for Thanksgiving, in addition to thinking about farmers and farmland, I want you to think about genetically modified food. If you're buying organic, that's great. But keep in mind, when you go to a restaurant, and most of them aren't organic, occasionally they might advertise an organic mescaline green salad or something like that. But most of the food is not organic in restaurants. If you're eating in it, you don't know what you're getting. Unless you're eating at our friend Vlad's restaurant, Organic Grill. Organic Grill. Grill. Then you know you're getting organic. Shout out to Vlad. (laughs) Who now is right next door to the Blue Note, downtown New York City. That's a nice plug, Gary. Yeah, you go yeah. and you have great food and great, great food, music. Great atmosphere. And there's Vlad, <laughs> who's an awesome dude. We love Vlad. Yep. So a lot of restaurants, you can seek them out. There's a few of them that even say that they are all organic. Some chains are boasting that they use organic ingredients. Do your research. Bear Burger has a vegan menu, too. Some of their ingredients are organic. Bear Burger Home. Bear Burger is where you can have it all. The best ethically sourced ingredients and allergy-free friendly kitchen. Yes, we have dedicated fryers, big flavor, and big fun. All right, so whatever that means, check them out before you go into your favorite restaurant and see if they have anything organic on the menu. And always ask. Yeah, it's very important. And it's very important to know what you're eating. And how it gets there. That's really something we all have to be aware of. I think that's the message today. Yeah. Know where your food comes from, how it gets there to your table. Especially this Thanksgiving. Because we want you to stay healthy and we want the planet to stay healthy. Or get healthy. Yeah. And let's start now. Let's start right now, this Thanksgiving. 
Everybody go vegan. Turkey-free Thanksgiving. Yay. 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 <laughs> I like that. Free the turkey at Thanksgiving. Another thing I want to hit on is COP27. The okay. climate con- the UN climate conference now in its 27th year. Right. And I don't know how far we've gotten. And it's still kind of vague and cl- as to... What they concluded on, I've been reading articles about it, but they've made some vague kind of promises. I'm reading on the UNClimateSummit.org page where they're talking about the conclusion to COP27, and it's, it's vague. The final conclusion, a start on addressing the systems of the climate crisis in a break through decision for the most vulnerable, but little, to address the root causes of global warming. The influence of the fossil fuel industry and its supporting states was also on full display with further weakening of language targeting fossil fuels. So there's this talk about loss and damage and how the developing world is agreeing to help out financially to the developing world, which is it's an, it's an interesting situation where the developed world, and I don't have any other word to use, and I don't know that I even like the word developed, but <laughs> those of us in the world, the developed world, is considered the world that has a lot of technology, a lot of factories. We're the ones that are doing all the polluting and using up all the finite resources, the fossil fuels. And yet the ones that experience the climate change disasters are the the underdeveloped nations. They're the ones that are experiencing more floods and droughts, and they want help because they know that the developed world caused their problem. Right. So the unique thing about this particular conference is that the developed nations were kind of acknowledging it, and so now there's this talk about loss and damage with a commitment to set up financial support for the most vulnerable by the next summit, which is in 2023. We'll see what happens. Right. But at least they're acknowledging. Yeah, well, they also mentioned in um, a piece in The Guardian that, well, there's a lot of pieces out because I think it just it just ended just ended so the eu president says in one of the headlines that the cop 27 deal is a small step towards climate justice but warns much more to be done as it happened this- it, it's always that way it's never enough right never enough but since we're talking about food cuz it's all about food i did want to mention some of the food that was served there was a dinner of lab grown meat at the COP20? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember I'm, I'm friends with Bruce Friedrich on Facebook, and he was there, and he had some pictures, and he was talking about it. And so it was a really good plug for lab-grown meat, cultured meat, cell meat, whatever you want to call it. Don't I don't want to call it. Don't call me for dinner if that's what's on the table. No. You know how I feel about this. I don't approve. And the Washington Post had an article on the subject. 
And there were a few quotes in it that I wanted to mention because they bugged me. Okay. So Josh Tetrick, I interviewed him a long time ago when he was starting his company, Hampton Creek Foods, and he was promoting the Just Egg or Beyond Egg. It's had so many different names that it's hard to keep track. Right. And I liked the concept at the time. The concept was to create a plant-based egg that could be used in industrial foods, fast foods, foods that people buy because they're convenient and inexpensive and they don't care what's in them. And they could use a plant-based product to replace the tortured chicken egg. And I thought this was a great idea and it would sell because the plant-based egg would be less expensive and it, it was a win overall and it would likely be healthier. But now... Josh Tetrick and numerous other companies are also going to this sell meat concept. And this is where I want to say, stop. <laughs> We're going too far. Right. Uh, but what Josh Tetrick said of the lab grown meat, he said, this lets us enjoy real meat without the issues. And that's just not true. Not true at all. It doesn't take care of the issue of these products not being healthy. And it doesn't take care of all of the unresolved issues that this industry seems to think they're going to solve. But only time will tell. It's really expensive. It's very energy intensive. And it's very depressing. (laughs) It is depressing. Yeah. Don't we want to eat real food uh, rather than food grown in a lab? Yeah, I do. I'd rather eat banana peel bacon. Have you heard about this banana peel bacon? Oh, I don't know if that sounds good. Oh, it's really a thing now. You know, a lot of folks are doing a lot with the peels of bananas. Of mm-hmm. course, it's better to have them organic and remove all the pesticides and herbicides. But there's a lot of, a lot of folks... Making recipes with bananas and Banana one of peels. one of and the peel because I guess thirty percent of of the waste is banana yes. peels. Yeah, or, they do take up a lot of space in a banana. Yeah, so a lot of people are finding ways to. Is, is it good? Did they say it's good? One of the veg sites, I think it was Vegetarian Time. Vegetarian Times has a piece on. Banana peel bacon. Check it out. It's fascinating. And it talks a lot about uh, what people are now doing with banana peels and how it's replacing some of the ingredients in their dishes. Well, if you have a lot of banana peels and you're concerned about banana peel waste, I suggest composting. Right. (laughs) And another thing, we did this for a while, not not for too long, but I did make banana peel tea. Right. That can be used to enhance your sleep because bananas and banana peels have melatonin and melatonin helps us fall asleep at night. So you could have this banana peel tea. Well, there's carrot bacon and there's seitan bacon and there's Mushroom bacon. And sure, but those are all foods that we normally eat. We don't normally eat now banana peel. Now they're throwing banana peel bacon into the mix. Okay, but you know, 
I'd rather I, eat that than sell meat. Ex- uh, exactly. That was just what I was going to say, and you said it. I'd yeah. rather eat banana peels than sell meat. I don't meat. want to re- <laughs> replicate the feeling of eating flesh. I think that that's why we're so against sell meat is because we're plant-based because we don't want to remember what eating flesh was like. Well, it's more than that. It's so much more than that. They're throwing all this money. I've I've talked about this so many times. You're probably tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> but all this money going to create a product that may or may not work. And why? We already have the wonderful foods that we can eat. And it just requires marketing, good marketing. But nobody wants to invest in it because there's no value added. There's no return on investment. But when you're creating a new product, you can ultimately maybe make it profitable and mark it up and the people that invested in it will have a return. But not so much with beans. Right. So there needs to be some sort of shift. And it would be nice if the government got involved, if they weren't so heavily influenced by lobbyists, where we'd educate about the healthiest foods so people know what they are and then we market them so that they make so that they look fun because they are fun and they are tasty yes and we're right there we have it all already we don't have to do the research oh just just i'm so frustrated it's the bee in your bonnet So banana peel bacon this Thanksgiving. That's what you're having. I'm going to make that for you. Oh, they have a recipe? No, I'm going to make one up. Okay. Well, we certainly have plenty of banana peels. Right. And we'll see what happens. I understand it's crispy. If you soak it in some oil before you fry it up and flavor it up, it comes out real crispy. We have the bacon-ish cookbook that makes bacon out of so many different things. And the, the key thing is salt. And sweet and fat. Right. And, you know, if it worked for bean water, aquafaba, mm, who knows? Maybe who the banana knows? peel is next. Ooh. Or maybe I'm maybe I'm late on this. Maybe people are already experiencing this. Hey, out there, if you're already experiencing <laughs> banana peel bacon or, or dishes that are made with the banana peel, let us know. We would love to test them out. We're big with testing out recipes for our listeners. What I want to talk about next is a certain kind of activism that's going on, and it's related to climate change. Oh, yeah, this is a good story. <laughs> and it's related to food. So maybe you've heard about the activists who recently, I think it happened a month ago, they threw tomato soup on a Van Gogh painting, one of his sunflower paintings. It's called Sunflowers. And this was at the National Gallery in London. And after they threw the soup on the painting, they put glue on their hands and stuck their hands on the wall so that they couldn't leave. And this is like a thing with this organization, Just Stop Oil. Right. Where they do these tactics um, often where they glue their hands to something to draw attention to climate change. And one of the things they ask the visitors who see this event is ask them if they're more concerned about the protection of a painting or the protection of our planet 
and people. It's a good point. And just on Van Gogh for a moment, give the guy a break. I mean, he never sold a painting in his lifetime, right? And now they're all hanging and they sell for a fortune. Just another example of exploitation. The poor artist. But how do you feel about activism like that? I need to think about that a little longer. Okay. Because I don't know if it does anything for the problem. It just creates another problem. Well, the question is how to get people's attention. That's the thing. And unfortunately, what's happening in Great Britain is that the police are striking back and they have new powers. They're getting more authority. And So the bobbies are no longer the mellow. No, and some are afraid that there's an erosion of civil rights. The individual who's responsible, or one of the individuals... Of Just Stop Oil? Phoebe Plummer, a climate activist who, along with Anna Holland, threw the soup at the painting, (laughs) said she wants to make it perfectly clear that they did not damage, they did no damage to the painting whatsoever. So apparently tomato soup thrown at an at a Van Gogh with shellac. Or yeah, I think what, it was glazed so they knew it was protected. Didn't do any damage. But what it did do was get people's attention. So I'll leave my personal feelings aside and I will say that apparently it worked. They got people's attention. But does that mean anybody's going to do anything about climate change? Or did they just get their 15 minutes of fame? I don't know. Is it just because they wanted to put a video up on TikTok and no, I think have it go viral with millions of views, which it did? I think they're genuinely concerned about climate change in their future. These are young people. Oh, no who... doubt. No doubt. But what other ways are there to do? I don't this? know. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't think growing cell meat is the way to do it. No. And I think what they're protesting, because it's called Just Stop Oil, they're protesting. It's called Just Stop Oil. The fossil fuel, the use of fossil fuels. Right. Which, unfortunately, thanks to Russia, is now playing an important part where in Europe they were working to get away from fossil fuels and more clean, sustainable energy. With the war crisis going on, they have to use more of it. The the issues that they were trying to draw attention to included the large number of fossil fuel licenses the UK Prime Minister Liz Truss has granted and the amount of subsidies that fossil fuels receive compared to renewable energy despite the significantly lower reported cost of offshore wind and the connection to the current cost of living crisis in the UK with growing concerns about the cost of energy. And... Well, they were reacting to the prime minister at the moment, which was last month, and Liz is now out. So I'm not sure where they're going to go with any of the recommendations that she made. But still, fossil fuels are a serious problem. Right. And that happened back in October. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I I am with this. I remember during the early days of activists who were against fur, mm. they would throw paint on right. fur coats in department stores. Some yeah. would even throw paint on fur coats 
on people's backs. Yeah. And hey, look where we are now with fur. Everybody's banning it. And well, that's an interesting thing. So I, I look where we are with fur. I still think fur is a popular item. There are some companies that aren't using fur, but fur is still with us, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Fur. Unfortunately. Yeah. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to throw tomato soup on each other next? <laughs> I don't know, but I like tomato soup, and I wouldn't want like to waste too. it. Keep it in the can if you throw it at me. <laughs> It'll bounce off, and I'll open it up. Make sure it's vegan, though. Okay, so we've talked about farmland, and we've talked about genetically modified food, and we've talked about climate change and the recent United Nations COP27 we talked a little bit about banana bacon. I'm still, I'm working, work, I'm finding that hard to swallow, but I'm, I'm working on it. Ah, that's good. <laughs> so you feel, as the Vegetarian Times article feels, maybe we've gone too far? Yeah. Or they ask the question, have we gone too far? Yeah. Mm. Well, I don't know. I think, I think it's an interesting thing to explore the banana peel. Some folks say when you cook it in recipes like banana curry and the peels can be soft and similar to that of eggplant in both taste okay, and texture. Okay, okay. You have to soak it here. first. You have to soak it to get it soft. You have to scrub it and get all the pesticides off because as you've pointed out many times, probably on this program, the peel is where all of the pesticides oh, yeah. are. Yeah. So that's why you should always buy organic bananas. Yeah, they also put some nasty coatings on banana peels. Yeah. So I got to get all that stuff off, soak it, wash it, and then try it in some recipes. Okay, I'm not as averse to banana peels as I am to sell meat. But, right, but, right. But, but I am averse to needing another product full of salt, sugar, and fat. No, no, I was just... And I, I mean, was, that's what bananas... That's what just, bacon's all about. Yeah. But people obviously feel like they need it. I was commenting on cell meat saying, I don't want to eat cell meat, but if I want to have a, a memory of the smoky, sweet Maybe it's taste a banana bacon. of bacon. <laughs> and I'm fine with eating seitan bacon or, or tempeh bacon or some of the other bacons if I'm doing a vegan brunch on Sunday and I'm feeling like a smoky slice of something that's going to complement my tofu scramble and my <laughs> home fried potatoes. Now you're getting me hungry. Right? But I don't want to eat cell meat. I don't want to ever go back to any kind of meat. And so that was my point in bringing up I'd rather eat banana peel bacon. That's not to say that I want to eat banana peel bacon, but if I was given the choice, do you want cell meat or do you want banana peel bacon... I would go with Banana Peel Bacon. And Banana Peel Bacon could also be a great title for a song. <laughs> a country song. A country song. <laughs> a country song. Coming soon. We're not done with this Banana Peel subject. No, I no, think we're going to... There's more to come. I think we're going to... Let's... But... I just hope we don't slip I up. I know. Oh, God. I was just trying to make a pun with the word slip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. Just a few more minutes. I know... We talked a couple of weeks ago about Thanksgiving. Yes. And how there's going to be pie. And I just want to remind you of one more pie. I, 
I don't know if I mentioned it the last time. This is a savory pie. This is the caramelized leek pie, which I just happened to make. Delicious. This past week. And I always knew I loved it, but I made it again. And we were both like, is this crack? What is this? <laughs> this is amazing. This was really good. It's such a great recipe. So if you haven't tried it, it's on the homepage right now at Responsibility and Living. Yes, it is. Dot com, the caramelized leek tart. Total yum. And really, really, really a fantastic pie to eat with banana peel bacon. <laughs> Don't go there. Because you could eat this. No, seriously, though. You could eat this pie at breakfast, mm-hmm. at lunch, at brunch, or at dinner. It's good straight across the board or as a midnight pie snack. Leftover. And it was great cold. Remember, we yeah. had some of it left yeah. over and it didn't last too long in the refrigerator, but it was really good. It did not last 24 hours. Let's just say that. No, it didn't. Yeah. And you made it with some uh, beautiful almond ricotta. Of course. Right. So the original recipe was was with a, an animal-based ricotta, which I modified and used my almond ricotta. But there is rec- there is plant based ricotta in the stores if you don't yeah, want to go Kite through. Yeah, Kite Hill, some other brands. Kite Hill and other brands, right? And if you don't want to go through soaking the nuts, taking off the sea the the skin. Yeah, at some point I should try making the almond ricotta from almonds that are already skinned. Yeah. See how it tastes. But can you get roar almonds? Roar. <laughs> roar. No, can you get blanched. roar almonds already skinned? They're blanched. They're blanched. Yeah, they're blanched. <laughs> They're blanched. I wonder if they're blanched in water or oil. No, water. Okay, cool. Can you blanch in oil? Yes. Oh, is it called blanching? Yes. I never knew that. Almonds are full of good fat. Good fat. And fiber. Yes. And And, uh, let me ask you a question. Okay. Do you prefer almond milk or oat milk? I know I'm not talking about soy milk now because you I, know that's my first choice. That's your first choice. But if you go to a restaurant and they ask you, "Would you like almond milk or oat milk?" and they don't have soy milk, what would you prefer? Almond. Almond. Yeah. Why is that? I never jumped on the oat milk fever hysteria where people were loving oat milk. Right. I like oats, but I'm not a lover of oat milk. Interesting. How yeah. about you? I think I'd go with the oat milk. Ah, Isn't that great? Isn't that interesting? That's why I'm on the show. Balance. <laughs> we have balance. But I want to say that I would really prefer it to be almond milk that I make, which is just almonds and water, rather than a container of almond milk that has all kinds of stuff. Yeah, your almond milk is really good. Yeah. Really good. It's, it's just almonds. It's delightful. And you have this... Almond milk nut bag. <laughs> That's funny to say that. I'm sorry. Are you an almond milk nut bag? That nut when bag. you when you're through draining the almond into milk, the pulp left over makes a wonderful mock tuna salad. Yeah, with with celery and yeah. and maybe a little uh, nori or dulse. Right. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. We haven't done that in a while, and we used to do it also when you made soy milk with the pulp, which is called... 
Okara. Okara. We haven't made that in a long time. <laughs> we have a lot of songs about the food that we make in our house. <laughs> Who misses Okara? We also have a song about Zatar. <laughs> so there's a lot of fun going on here at Responsible Eating and Living. And now back to my question. What are we having for Thanksgiving? Yeah. I guess we'll have to talk about that on the next show. Well, we talked a little bit about it a couple of weeks ago, but I, I think we're... I think it's changed. I think we're changing our mood. I think it's banana peel bacon this Thanksgiving. <laughs> I'm just Don't <laughs> start. Banana peel bacon in the stuffing. No, I jest. Yeah, you jest. Just a little zest jest. Just a little zest jest. Okay. All right, so Karen, before we... Uh, before we close out, I know we've got a few a few more minutes. I'm going to ask you some questions as a longtime vegan who has not only had many a vegan Thanksgiving, but mm. also have you've had your vegan Thanksgiving on a local news station, right? When you were doing one at your parents' house. Yep. Tell That's, us a little bit about that. That was a while ago. Yeah, this was like way before... Vegan Thanksgiving Maybe. were even a thing. They were a thing, but they're definitely more popular now. But maybe it was 20 years ago. Maybe. Right. And there was an article in a local paper where I think I had been interviewed at some event. And I said I wouldn't have a dead bird on the table. Right. And News 12 on Long Island some local station on Long Island saw that quote and they called me. They wanted to talk to the person who said they didn't want a dead bird on the table. And they said they wanted to come during our Thanksgiving and film our food and the family at the table. And I made a lot of traditional dishes. In fact, it's on YouTube. I could link it to this post. You could watch the... Yeah. Well, that was my point. And you so can watch it. There's a lot of vegans now. And there's a lot of vegans that are going to be going to Thanksgiving dinners at different meat eaters' homes. Some of them probably their parents, maybe relatives, sure, close friends. What are some of your recommendations for their survival <laughs> uh, besides bringing their own food? Yeah, it's Thanksgiving is really hard. Right. And we've tried numerous things. And the last few years, we just decided we would go out to dinner, you and me. Oh, you and I, yeah. <laughs> but let's say somebody who doesn't have that luxury and can't and has to go or is compelled to You definitely to go. want to bring your own dish or dishes. Right. So whatever your favorite foods are, garlic mashed potatoes, Sweet potatoes, some kind of stuffing, all those good starchy comfort foods are the go-to dishes at Thanksgiving. And a great pie or two or three. I always end up making like three pies. So you think your your suggestion is bring some food? Bring some delicious food, yeah. Do you keep it out in the car to find out if there's anything you can eat and say, oh, I just happen to have this <laughs> lovely meal in the trunk of my car that I'll bring in and share with you? Or do you think... This That's, all has to be discussed in advance. So it's okay. You think I, it, you should never go to a Thanksgiving dinner when they don't know what you eat and you don't know if there's going to be something for you there. This all needs to come out ahead of time. So if you're going somewhere 
and you don't know what's happening, you better call the hosts and have a very happy, lovely, non-judgmental, loving conversation. Yeah, because you and I have been to many a dinner where we, we haven't done that and and we haven't had anything to eat. Sure. And these these were people that we know and who know us. I think more often than not, though, people who know us have been very Right, but we have had those occasions where folks have apologized and said, oh, gee, we really yeah. don't have anything for you to eat. There's there's ice. <laughs> Would you like some ice? Yeah, so the other thing is if if you really are going to have a hard time communicating ahead of time, just eat ahead of time so you're not hungry. Right. And that's my recommendation. And And do you feel like there are different schools of thought? Do you feel you leave your activism... At home, or do you feel like you uh, use your megaphone? I know you personally <laughs> would not hold back on giving no, your opinion. I don't. But do you say, "Oh my God, look at that horrible dead bird on the table"? It, I I'm going to I'm gonna go sit in the laundry room <laughs> and have and have something to eat. Yeah, with. I, I have. How do you keep peace when you know yeah, it's hard? It's difficult, right? It depends on the individual and how far you want to go. There was a time, I was lucky for a while, where my parents agreed when we were having Thanksgiving together that there would be no turkey. And that was a beautiful thing. Oh, well, they and really love you. my parents have three vegan children, and, you know, what choice did they have? But they they went with it. And then things changed, and when family members from marriages came into the picture. They didn't exactly feel the same way, but I made a request, or I don't even know if I made a request, but somehow the turkey wasn't on the table as a centerpiece. It was in the kitchen. If people wanted it, they could get it there. I remember going to a couple of uh, Thanksgivings with you where people were hiding the turkey in the kitchen. Yeah, but you know, you can smell it. Yes. So it's just so that's not why, a pleasant day. That's if why we have Thanksgiving now in our little apartment, or we go out to yes. a vegan restaurant and have our Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I know you are. Thanks for sharing that. I don't know. I don't know. I've changed. Usually I would just say, hey, I don't really care what you eat. Just eat what you want and enjoy it. But today I feel like I would probably say something. You have changed, yeah. and I'm proud of you for that. Yeah. Yeah. You've changed. <laughs> You're different. You get in people's faces about turkey. I made a monster out of you. <laughs> no, not a monster. A lover of banana peel bacon. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, everybody, we hope you have a very calm Thanksgiving. Very calm. With good conversation. <laughs> with good conversation and good karma i wish you pleasant conversations with those around your table right talk about farmland definitely hey gary hey karen let's have a delicious week